May I speak, and may we all hear the word of the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know a number of you have been to Israel and visited Jerusalem, and if you haven't been there, try and get it on your bucket list to do some day. But if you've been, you'll remember, I'm sure, going to visit the great temple compound, that great uh, man-made concrete structure on which once stood the holy place, the Lord's temple. And you stood at the foot of this great wall, this great plateau, many times wider and longer than the area of Trafalgar Square, uh, where that temple once stood in Jesus' day. And at the foot of the Temple Mount, you would have looked up and said, as we did when we went, what massive stones these are. How did they get these huge limestone building blocks in place so perfectly? And that was exactly what those disciples said to Jesus. And at the foot of that wall, you will have seen, I'm sure, some of those huge stones which had been leveraged down from the top by the Romans when they seized Jerusalem in AD 70 and laid waste the temple of God that once stood at the top. And those disciples said, See, Master, what large stones. Then Jesus predicted their reduction to rubble and ruin in about a generation or so. It was a shocking idea because here on this temple mount and in that temple building on the top was the epicenter of Hebrew faith and worship and of God, as they saw it, doing business in his world. Here, the priests daily went about their business. Here, the sacrifices were offered in accordance with the law of God. So when the super-Jewish writer of Hebrews looked for categories to explain the saving work of Jesus Christ on his cross and his continued concern for us from his exalted place in heaven, this scene in the temple was a natural place for him to come to as a Jewish thinker. The Old Testament priesthood and the blood sacrifices. Surely, he says, Jesus has fulfilled the prophetic images of Old Testament priesthood and Old Testament sacrifice. And when Hebrews wants to reassure his readers of the certainty and the security of the place you and I have in God's kingdom, in his family, and in his plans, when he wants to make us absolutely sure of that, it is to the temple ritual that he turns. And he gives us, in that reading we've had from Hebrews, two foundations for our sure salvation, foundations on which you and I can build our lives. And then resting on these two foundations, he gives us three exhortations for remaining steadfast in that faith. I'm going to pick out a few bits which will give you the gist of that New Testament reading from Hebrews that you've got in front of you. You may find it helpful to look. I'll try and get you to the lines I'm referring to. First of all, two foundations that give us full confidence before God. First, Jesus' perfect sacrifice. If you look at the second paragraph, 
second line, we're told we have confidence to enter God's holy place, the sanctuary, by the blood of Jesus. And a few lines above that, three lines down in the first paragraph, we read, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. The world of blood sacrifices is a very different world from our own. There were categories that meant a great deal to Hebrews and his readers. But this we know, that when Jesus died on the cross, he sacrificially offered himself in order to change things in our relationship with God. Something happened on that cross that won for us a new standing with God so that, as we say so often in our prayers, our sins are forgiven for his sake. As Charles Wesley put it in his famous hymn, his blood availed for me. And as Jesus himself declared, and as we repeat at the Eucharist, this is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. We rest on that sure foundation, the sacrifice made once for us by Jesus. And the second foundation is Jesus' eternal priesthood. Hebrews tells us that just as the Old Testament priests embodied our need of someone to stand on our behalf before God and to stand before us to reveal God to us, so Jesus has in fact become that priest that we really need, fully representing God to us and because he's fully human, fully representing us before God. He's the intermediary we need. So if you look at the passage again, that second paragraph, four lines down, since we have a great priest over the house of God, referring, of course, to Jesus, here is the priest we need who reveals God's love to us and who now sits enthroned at God's right hand, our human nature still clinging to it, to him, to represent us forever and to intercede for us at God's throne of grace. So we know that because of the sacrifice of Jesus and his continuing priesthood on our behalf, we have all we need to give our hearts peace, our hope certainty, and our faith confidence, and our minds rest. I need this, and so do you. This is life-changing and life-giving. These are two foundations on which we can build our lives. So after setting down these two foundations, Hebrews then urges us to make these certainties fully our own by the means of three simple steps, three exhortations. He says, since we have confidence in the blood of Christ and since we have a great high priest, let us, therefore, and he gives three exhortations, let us approach, first of all four lines down on the second paragraph. Let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us approach God. In the old versions, it used to say, let us draw near to God. And we say in the, in the old prayer book, draw near with faith. Do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed. Do not be hesitant. Do not delay. Do not think that you're the exception that must prove God's rule and you're the one that gets caught out. No, 
Let us all approach in full assurance of faith, come to God here and now, today, and keep on doing it. He is waiting. In Jesus, he, provided the, he has provided the way and the means. So because these foundations are sure, we know we can approach God. Let's do that. For the second time this year, someone said to me the other day, a different person, said to me, can anyone come to church? Can anyone come to church? And I replied, well, if I can, anyone can. If I can, anyone can. And God very much wants you to come to him. You may not always find him in church, first of all, but you need to be there to hear the things he has to say to you. Yes, you can. People have doubt as to whether we really can do business with God. He tells us here, let us approach. And the second exhortation, resting on those two foundations, is let us hold fast to our hope without wavering, because God keeps his promises. Four lines up from the bottom, the second let us, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We should hold fast to this hope and not let it go, because God's promises stand. When I turned 50, I was bought a gliding lesson. And somewhere a few thousand feet above Oxfordshire, my teacher said to me, you have the controls now. I looked down and saw the altitude. I looked sideways and saw the flimsy wires that held those slim wings onto the body of a very light uh, glider. And I held on to that steering column so tightly that I had stiff arm muscles for the next three days. Of course, I didn't really need to do that, but I was going to make sure that I did not let go of that steering column. It was my only salvation to stay up there. And Hebrews tells us to keep hold of God's promises. Don't let them go. Hold them as if your life depends on them, because actually it does. And then, finally... A third exhortation. This is just three lines up from the bottom. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. We have an effect on each other to keep ourselves on the road. Let us consider how we can provoke each other to love and good deeds. Encouraging one another. We need each other as fellow Christians to encourage and spur each other on. Athletes run best when others run with them. I've recently joined the ranks of Fitbit users. Has anybody else got a Fitbit? Am I the only one with a few hands up in the air? I think there's more out there, really. Well, here it is. It's just like a little watch that counts the steps you take and the distance you walk and various other health and wealth, well-being data. Other people I know who've got Fitbits are in my own little private Fitbit community. And I know how many steps they're taking. Because it tells me. And it helps to have a little loving competition from them. Occasionally, I will notice that my daughter-in-law in Sydney, Australia, is well ahead of me. Well, they get nicer weather, so there's an excuse. But I see that her numbers are well ahead. And this has the effect of making me turn to our dog and saying to him, Monty, we're going out to do 3,000 steps. Get your lead. It spurs me on to do better than I otherwise would when others do well.
And Hebrews uses a strong word. We should be provoking, inciting, spurring each other on to love and good deeds. We can have a positive effect on one another as fellow Christians. We can rescue each other from laziness and mediocrity. We can, each, we can encourage each other to press on and not give up and not fall back. So friends, let us rest on the two foundations of Jesus' saving love, his sacrifice and his priesthood on our behalf. Let's heed those three exhortations, boldly approaching God in prayer and worship, holding firmly to the promises of God and encouraging each other to do the same. Let us bow our heads. Almighty God, you have given us your beloved Son to be our Saviour and our great High Priest. Give us grace to draw near to you with full confidence in your great and precious promises, to hold fast to the sure and certain hope you have placed in our hearts, and to encourage each other to excel in loving service and godly living. These things we pray through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.